0: Well, if you would open your Bibles to uh, Jonah chapter four, Jonah chapter four. Uh, I was uh, talking to Alton Jones uh, the other day, and you guys know Alton Jones. Alton is our uh, our pro bass fisherman. I'll just kind of raise your hand just in case he's our, our fisherman here in the church. And Alton had just had a terrible day fishing the other day. I mean, he had been out on the lake. I don't know what lake was it that you were out on. Do you remember? Lake Falcon, he was out on Lake Falcon, just had a terrible day fishing. And uh, he was sitting in the blazing hot sun all day and didn't catch a single fish. You believe that? A pro bass fisherman. Didn't, didn't catch a single fish that day. Well, on his way home, or actually back to the, to the trailer, uh, he stopped at the local fish store. And he, he, when he got there, he, he, ordered, he, he ordered four big bass. He ordered those. He told the salesman, he says this, he says, I want you to pick out four large ones, and then I want you to throw them at me. Just throw them at me. Just hurl them right at me. His salesman looked at him, what, why why do you want me to throw them at me, or at you? He said, so I am able to tell my wife with all honesty, because Alton's an honest guy, that I caught these fish. Okay, the fish salesman said to him, but uh, I think you should take salmon. He says, and I said, why? Why salmon? Well, your wife came by. She said, if you happen to come in to tell you to get salmon because she's tired of eating bass. I'm sorry I had to tell that, Alton. Hey, Jonah is more than a fish story, is it not? It is. Jonah is more than a fish story. It's a testimony of God's character. It's a testimony of how God worked in chapter 1 with a rebellious prophet. In chapter 1, as this this rebellious prophet ran from where God had told him to go, God graciously pursued after Jonah, and in his sovereignty worked in the life of Jonah. It's a testimony of God's character that in in Jonah chapter 2, that God loves us and has so much compassion on us that he'll he'll discipline us that he'll he'll actually put us on our back to cause us to look back up to him that's our God in Jonah chapter 3 we saw how God is a god of second chances he's a god of amazing abundant grace that you and I will never begin to fully comprehend till we are with him in all eternity but he's a God of second chances. and He's a God who, when people repent, he is eager and desirous to relent in compassionate mercy on them. As he did with the people of Nineveh. And so we pick up this testimony of the character of God in Jonah chapter four. If you remember, God is eager to relent when people repent And boy, had repentance happened in the wicked city of Nineveh. the People had repented from the greatest to the least of people. Even the king himself took himself off the throne and humbled himself before God, not presuming on God's mercy, but pleading and crying out to God. And God relented. He poured out his compassion on them, his mercy. An amazing thing how would you like to be a part of, of an entire city turning to god turning to belief in god you can imagine if you were jonah how exciting that would be what a privilege it would be to be a part of at least a hundred thousand people or more coming to the knowledge of the one true god and what amazing work he would have had All these people coming to Christ, and here's the the sole prophet of God left in the city of Nineveh. He would have been busy about the task of discipling and showing these people how to follow the one true God. So let's see what Jonah's response was. Look at chapter verse 1 with me and see how he responded to this relenting and this great repentance and change in there. It says in this, and you're going to be astounded how greatly excited he is. Because look what it says there. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. I was just like, what? What, what is he thinking? What, what was there to be displeased about? Why is he so angry at what God had just done? Again, Jonah had been used by the sovereign God to be his voice amongst these people. These people. To speak not only judgment and the truth of what would happen to them without God, but also to speak grace into their life and that they had 40 days until this would happen. And God has compassion and these people truly repent. Remember this phrase here in the Hebrew literally reads this. It was evil to Jonah, a great evil. That's how Jonah felt about it. He was so angry. This was an, it, it was an evil to him. He was so displeased about it. And it drove him to where literally the, the Hebrew says became hot. When it says angry, it's literally the word to, to become hot. He was hot. He was furious with what God had done and his relenting. So what does Jonah do? In verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. And this is actually a good step. When you're angry with God, when your anger what he, is what he's done, the best thing you can do is actually take it to God. Like the Psalms of Lament invite that. They invite us to come. And I want you to know something. God can handle your anger. Okay? Just let me let them know that right. He can handle your anger. He can handle your questions. He can handle your skepticism. He, he invites you to bring them to him. And that's what Jonah does here, and I'll give him credit for that. But look what he says in the text. Now, oh, wait a minute, just before we get there, i got to give a little quiz, and I don't want you to raise your hand. Okay, I don't want you to raise your hand on this, all right? But when you, what what were your thoughts, what did you think was the reason why, when we go all the way back of why Jonah ran towards Tarshish, all right, what, what did you think was really the reason why Jonah didn't go? I asked one of my daughters that question, and, at least her slant on what Veggie says it was because uh, they were she was they feared the Ninevites. Eh. That's not the reason. Look what the text says here. Fact, I, I think Jonah is a lot more courageous than we might think. What's his What's his problem? Look at the text. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my country? He just, just mads him, shaking his head. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. That is the reason he didn't go to Nineveh in the first place is he knew what kind of God that he had and that God would be gracious towards these people he couldn't stand. Jonah lamented to the Lord, Lord, I knew you'd be gracious. In essence, I knew you longed to have unmerited favor on people. I knew you would be compassionate. I knew that you are tender and affectionate of heart. Literally, this word for, for compassionate here is, is, is the root word that it means to be soft like a womb. It, it conveys the idea of soft compassion of a mother for her child who is in a womb. It's that, that kind of feel. He said, I knew you were like that. I, I knew you would be slow to anger, that you don't delight in punishing the wicked. I knew you just love to pour out your Hased That speaks of his loving kindness. It speaks of his loyal love towards his people. He says, I knew you like to pour out that love. I knew if these wicked, despicable, cruel Ninevites were to repent, you would mercifully relent. And sure enough, God, it's happened. And I'm angry. I don't like it one bit. I am thoroughly displeased, and this is unacceptable to me. That's what he's saying to God. Now, Jonah was a man of the word. He was well acquainted with this description. I mean, he knew this description. He was actually quoting a memory verse, is what he was quoting. You'll find this memory verse spread throughout Scripture. You'll particularly find it in Ephesians or Exodus chapter thirty-four, verses six. Through seven, this is where Moses had asked that God would show him His glory, and God, in a veiled way, He reveals His manifest glory to Moses. And as He was doing it, this is what He proclaimed about Himself. He said, in Exodus thirty-four: "The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth." Who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. See, Jonah knew that verse when he took running off. And he didn't want that, that truth to come to the Ninevites. And so he ran. He left. See, Jonah knew his theology. All right, Jonah could come in today and he could speak and talk about all the characteristics of God and he could explain to you how the grace of God is undeserved and unmerited. It's free. But the issue with Jonah wasn't a purely theological problem. There was some, but not purely. It was an issue of the heart. He had a heart problem. Jonah's theology was straight in his head, but his, 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 his knowledge have not flooded his heart in this area of grace towards Nineveh. Tony Evans uh, describes Jonah as having spiritual indigestion. Ever had spiritual indigestion? You know what indigestion's like. You know, you, 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 you kind of things just aren't settled and you actually kind of have, you know, little burps that come out. In, in, in Jonah's heart, he was having spiritual indigestion. Little burps of of grace would come out, or or little burps of kindness or compassion, but deep down it wasn't settled into his stomach. You got spiritual indigestion. Are there places? Are there people with whom the truths and the character of God? I mean, you may, it may come out of you a little bit, but it just hadn't really settled in your stomach. See, Jonah couldn't digest the idea of God's grace being extended toward the wicked and sinful Nineveh. He couldn't. He couldn't just digest that. Jonah was in essence saying, God, I know how you are, but I am just not there, and I never wanted to be a part of this. Isn't that amazing? With this great turning of people, and he is stuck and this anger and this heart condition. He was so stuck. He says, Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better to me than life. Ever been that hard of heart? Do you didn't want to deal with your hardness of heart? That you just try to just, just take me out, God? You ever hated someone so much? Would you rather die than go on and show them compassion? Jonah is an emotional train wreck. And at first glance, I'm, I'm tempted to laugh at Jonah, but then I have to stop for a moment and realize these emotions are real for Jonah and they're real for many of people. First, why is Jonah this way? Why death overseeing Ninevites experienced the mercy of God? And we're not actually ever told exactly why, but the historical context gives us some hints. The first of all, as we know, as I've said in the numerous sermons before, that the Ninevites were wicked, wicked, wicked people. They are idolatrous. They were known for brutal things, brutal things that they would do to their captors. Awful things that you, could, you wouldn't even think or imagine. But it gets a little more personal than that. It wasn't just something that Jonah knew in the distance. It was these same Assyrians, which Nineveh was the city of, who have, who have attacked Israel before. It was the same Assyrians who and they forced only three kings before Jonah's king to pay tribute to the Assyrians. Assyrians. So this was personal to Jonah. They had, they, he had, they had done things to his people. Jonah may have even known, we don't know this for sure because the writings of, of, of Hosea and Amos come later, but Hosea and Amos will prophesy of, of, of Assyria eventually coming to defeat Israel. The Jonah, the Ninevites, were his enemies. Jonah hated the Ninevites. And he did not in any shape or form want to share the grace of God. In Jonah's mind, it was to to hell with them. Let them go to hell. They deserve it. That was his attitude. ever felt that way? Are there people in this world, and maybe to even you personally, that have been so wicked... You would say, let them go to hell. They deserve it. That's where Jonah was. Paul Cho is a pastor of a large church in Korea. Several years ago, as his ministry was becoming uh, international, he told God, I will go anywhere to preach. Anywhere you want me to preach but Japan. Japan. He hated the Japanese with gut-deep loathing because of what Japanese troops had done to his Korean people and what they had done to his family personally in World War II. The Japanese to Paul Cho were his Ninevites. He despised them. However, through a combination of prolonged inner struggles, see, God was, was going after Paul. Through several direct challenges from others, and finally an urgent and starkly worded invitation, Cho felt called by God to preach in Japan. He went, but he went with bitterness, much like Jonah did. The first speaking engagement was to a pastor's conference, a thousand Japanese pastors. Cho stood up to speak, and what came out of his mouth was this. I hate you. I hate you. Hate you. And then he broke over and began to weep. He was brimming and desolate with ha- hatred. And as he stood there weeping, first one, then two, then three, before you know it, every one of those a thousand pastors made their way up to Cho. And they told him and they asked him for forgiveness for what their people had done. And as this went on, God changed Cho's heart. And he put a single word in his heart and mouth. I love you. I love you. I love you. See, sometimes God calls us to do what we least want to do in order to reveal our heart. To what really is in our heart. And that's what God was doing with Jonah. See, God loves us and he's so compassionate. He loves us so much that he'll pursue us to even dig in deep on the heart issues that are really destroying us inside. And that's what it was doing to Jonah. See, anger and hate that Jonah had will only turn in on you. It'll only destroy you in your soul. My question to you is, is God working on your heart with some Ninevites in your life? Are there some people in your life that they just don't deserve God's grace? i want you know God's working on your heart right now. Look how he does here. Look what he does with Jonah. Verse 4, he says, The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Whereas one pastor put it, Jonah, think with me. Jonah, I'm rejoicing; you are angry. Who's right? I love the way God responds here, though. He doesn't bash Jonah. He doesn't tell, "What do you? How dare you come and complain and lament to me?" Matter of fact, instead, what God does is He comes back with a question. I think is a probing question. Helping him to really think through this issue of grace and why he's really angry. And he actually gives back what Jonah doesn't want to give to the Ninevites. He's having compassion again towards Jonah here. He says, think through this. Think with me, Jonah, all the mercy and the grace I have extended to you and your people. Is there good reason to be angry? That's what's behind that question. Now, listen to what Jonah says. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. No answer. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little frail side of my parenting. That will flip my wig when a child pulls that stunt. Right, come on, any other parents here honest with me? Be honest with me. When, when you tell a child, you ask a child a question, That when they walk away and say nothing, that tests your sanctification. All right? Thank you. Thank you. Can I have another hand back here? All right. Thank you. I see those hands. God doesn't do that with them. He asks the question, and Jonah walks away. Then look what happens. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. I have no idea what he's doing. I mean, I think we're left guessing. Perhaps he thought God may respond to his complaints. Maybe that God's really, yeah, he's going to relent on this. He's going to go back and he's going to punish them. Maybe, maybe that's what he's thinking. I don't know. Or maybe he thought, you know what, this, they, these people are so wicked, this action of repentance, that really can't hold. I mean, God's going to see it my way, all right? I'm just going to sit out here in the shade until you change your mind, God, and see these people are wicked and that they deserve Judgment, not grace. Just give it time, God. You'll see. The situation kind of reminds me of the story of a teacher who, who told her students to please sit down. But in the back, there was one student still standing. She told him to sit down, but no response. Sit down, she said again. He shakes his head. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sit down. The boy slow sides down into the seat, but under his breath, he murmurs, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. You know what? God doesn't yell at Jonah. God doesn't demand of Jonah. Look what God does. Verse 6 So the Lord God appointed a plant. There he goes again. Remember? Storm. Appointed a, a fish. Here God goes again. He's sovereign, he's in control. The Lord God appointed a plan and it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah's extremely or greatly happy about the plan. I know how Jonah feels just a week ago. My air condition went out. All right. And I could understand, I was just a little bit grumpy, all right? Don't go talk to Elizabeth about this, but I was, all right? and But then when it got fixed, all right, when Brian Carter sent his people out to fix my air condition, I was exceedingly happy and great. Jonah, he is delighted here. He's feeling it. He's feeling cool. The God's setting Jonah up. He's setting him up, all right? He's a master teacher. He's doing some heart surgery here on Jonah, and he's doing it with great precision. Because look what he does next. But God appointed a worm. He appointed a worm. But this isn't just any worm, all right? This is a souped-up, charged turbo worm, okay? It's supernatural. Look what it does here. When dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered, the A.C. went out, all right? He's grumpy again. When the sun came up, get this, here God goes again. God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. All right, I, first of all, I did not say that when my air conditioning was going bad, okay? So give me some credit, all right? But here's Jonah. He's saying it once again. God takes this from him. He takes the AC away and he wants to die. Now, I notice a few things I notice here. The first thing I notice is Jonah's self-centeredness. This has been going on the whole time. He can think of nothing but himself. And the reality is when you and I, we lack compassion for others, we open ourselves up to self-centered living. Right? We do. And we become self-centered. And in Jonah's case, this led to self-pity, feeling sorry for himself. This led to a self-absorption that he could only think about himself and his own comfort. And this led to a further self-deception that he thinks he's got it so bad, so bad does he have it. Just, just kill me, God. Just take me out totally forgetting about all the grace and the mercy that had proceeded in his life and that actually was being poured out on him in that very moment for God to teach him this lesson. It was an act of grace. There's something else in here that I see. Second thing is I think Jonah is struggling with self-righteousness. Right? I told you he knows his theology. He did, but he was still struggling with a part of it. And what I see from this plan and this worm is that that Jonah has this attitude that I I, I deserve to have this shade. I deserve to have it. God, you're supposed to be gracious to me because I'm one of your chosen people. God's correcting that. See, grace is never deserved. Mercy is never deserved. Not for Jew or Gentile it's always undeserved god doesn't know it he would be perfectly just in wiping us out like this plant but he doesn't he extends grace and he extends mercy there's nothing good we are none righteous nothing good within us to deserve anything from god Not our family, not our pedigree, not the church we go to. It's all grace undeserved. We now come to the climax of our story. Verse 9. And God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Here he goes with these questions again you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. You see the self-deception? See how absorbed he is in himself? I have good reason to be angry even to death. You see what God's doing to him? God shows Jonah compassion, providing with shade. Then, then he takes away the plants and throws some intense heat. And Jonah gets a feel of what experience and judgment might be like. And he gets so angry. I think there was a great pause after God said this and Jonah said what he said. I think there's a great pause that comes, and, and what I think is left ringing in Jonah's ears is a plant. A plant, Jonah? Do you hear yourself, Jonah? You ever had those moments? When God just kind of works in your heart and He exposes you and what you really believe and what you're really thinking, you're so deceived, you cry out, oh, just, just kill me. But in, in that same moment, you have that moment like, what am I thinking? The thing the Lord said, verse 10, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, in which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right and left hand as well as many animals? I think God said this very calmly to him. I think the words were so powerful what God said to him. They were convicting they're starting to cut through that hard heart. Here's what, here's what God is saying. Jonah, you had compassion on what you did not work or on or, or what you caused to grow. But Jonah, the Ninevites, the Ninevites, Jonah, I gave them life. Jonah, they, they are human beings. And like any other human being, they are created in my image and my likeness. They are important to me. I think God is also saying, Jonah, that plant that you only uh, had a, you had around for a day, it came up in, in the dawn or the evening and it went down in the evening. You're, you're getting upset over that, Jonah. These Ninevites—they've been around for a long time. Matter of fact, if you go to Genesis chapter 10, you'll see the founding of the city of Nineveh. There, He's saying, Jonah, this 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 deal with the Ninevites hasn't been a, a one-day deal with them. I've been working in their hearts and their lives for centuries. They're important to me. They matter to me. This city truly is great to me of importance. Then he says, there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know the difference between their right and their left. Now, some believe this to be children. I don't particularly believe it is. I think the Hebrew term here gives us a clue. The Hebrew term for persons is the generic word that we use for human beings. And I tend to believe that what he's speaking of here is people who don't know their left or their right is is akin to kind of what Christ said on the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Just as those at the cross, though they they were guilty and they knew they were sinners, they didn't understand the gravity to which what they are doing to Christ. And I think when he's speaking here of the Ninevites, while the, the, the Ninevites are certainly aware of their wickedness and their evil and their violence, they would acknowledge that, they weren't aware of the gravity and of the offense that was to a holy God, the one true God. They were spiritually blind to that, we might say. So Jonah, now that I have rep- they have repented, should I not have pity on them? Should I not have... Compassion. Jonah, I care about my creatures. I even care about the animals who. Now, animal rights people don't need to get all excited over this because I don't think that's what God's dealing with at all. I think He's saying that God, even these animals are concerned to me because they have a purpose. They serve my people, they feed my people. There's a purpose in them. And I care about all my creation and I have compassion towards all my creation. Shouldn't I have compassion on Nineveh? That's it. It's no more verses. Story ends there, and you got to be thinking. Uh, first time I read this, I am like, "You kidding me? Come on now! If this is a movie, you said that's a terrible ending. There is no closure to this. Actually, it's it's ingenious. It, it's it's because what, what God is doing here is He's ending with a question he's ending with a question for you and I. He's asking you and I, should you not have compassion for the Ninevites? In essence, he's saying, who are the wicked and evil people in your life that you're not having my compassion in your life towards? What are you going to do with that? Perhaps it's a neighbor. Perhaps it's a, a coworker or a family member you just can't stand. Perhaps it's a, an ethnic group that you have prejudice towards. Perhaps it's those homosexuals pushing for a gay marriage. Can't stand those people are wicked. Perhaps it's the pro-choice people. You despise them so much, you have hate in your heart for them. I'm not saying anything they're doing is right. I'm the first to tell you they're wrong. But God wants to have mercy on them. God wants to pour out compassion to them. God wants to use you and I... Amongst a wicked and evil people who do not believe in God and to reflect and pour out his compassion, his mercy, his grace. He's eager and desires for them to come to a place of repentance so that he might relent with great compassion and mercy. And he's calling you and I to do the same. And we have a city that is full of wicked and evil people without knowledge of true knowledge of God. And are we loving them? Not excusing their sin, but are we loving and compassionate towards them? And does that show in our actions? So what do we do? How do we, how do we break out of this? I'm just give you a few things real quick. How do we, how do we let the, the compassion of God from our, our go from our heads to our hearts? Just three quick things. First of all, Take your lack of compassion to God. Just like Jonah. Say, God, I don't like these people. I don't like my neighbor. I don't like my boss. Take it to God. Tell Him. Tell Him how you feel and let Him go to work on your heart. He's going to ask a few questions. He's going to say some tough things. He can change your heart. Second, Remember where you were before the gospel of Jesus Christ came true in your life. One of the most powerful verses to keep me from being a self-righteous individual, and I can easily slip into that, is this. Let me so read it to you real quick. And you were dead, it's Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You, you were according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. In my favorite part, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we are dead in our transgressions, may us alive together with Christ, by grace, by grace, you have been saved. Oh, memorize that. Hide that in our hearts. And when we really get that grace, then we'll love those still dead in their transgressions in a way we've never loved them before. And last, this rely on the divine power of the Holy Spirit. What's the first fruit of the Spirit that's listed? Come on now. What is it? Come on. A little bit louder. Exactly. God never expected you to live this Christian life in your own power and strength. He doesn't even expect you to love your Ninevites on your own. He says, I've given you my spirit and I will help you to love them. So rely on them. Ken Hughes tells the story of a friend of his wife's. This friend had actually been a missionary and was returned home with her husband and family to a long needed furlough after it was an unusually tiring stint on the mission field. She had been looking forward to this time with, with great anticipation. For the first time, she was going to have a place of her own. Oh, she was excited. A new, large, townhouse-style apartment. She was, she was excited about because she was going to take this patio around this apartment, and she was just going to be real creative with it. And she was going to focus her decorations. I mean, she was just pumped about it. I don't know if she used that word, but that's the word I used, all right? After a few months, some neighbors moved in. The word to describe them would be coarse. There was loud music day and night, along with a constant flow of obscenities. They urinated in the front yard in broad daylight. They totally disrupted her peace. She could see nothing good in them. She went to the Lord and he asked for his help. And she said, Lord, help me to be more loving. But all she got back from her neighbors was disgust and, and rejection. The crisis came when she returned home to discover that her neighbor's children had sprayed orange paint all over her beautiful patio. All over the walls. And some of you ladies just imagine with me right now. All right. Just the walls, the floors, everything was sprayed with orange paint. She was distraught and furious. She tried to pray, but found herself crying. And she was crying out, I cannot love them. I hate them. And knowing she had to deal with the sin in her heart, she began to converse, converse with the Lord and in her inner being. And the scripture came to mind. It said, beyond all these things, this is in Colossians three fourteen, and beyond all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. In her heart, she, she questioned, Lord, how do I put on love? The only thing she could picture was putting on a coat. You know, so that's what she turned to do. She chose to wrap herself in the love of God. As a result, she began to experience a, a deeper life of Christ within her. She made a list of what she would do if she really loved her exasperating neighbors. And she would do whatever was on the list. She baked cookies. She offered to babysit for free. She invited mother over for coffee. And the most beautiful thing began to happen. She began to know and understand them. She began to see that they were living under tremendous pressures. And she began to love her enemies. She did good to them. She lent to them without expecting anything back. And then the day came that they moved. And she wept. I'm here to tell you that when we take our anger and our lack of compassion to God, when we remember where we have come from before Christ, and we wrap ourselves or we depend upon the love of the Holy Spirit to exude out of us, He can change us. And He can use us to pour out his love and his compassion, his mercy on the wicked and sinful people, your Ninevites. Dear God, we come and we praise you. We praise you for a story like Jonah. Lord, each one of us could probably have ourselves put right in this story. But Lord, we thank you. That you are such a gracious and loving God that you will pursue us like you pursued Jonah. And Lord, my prayer is that for us who are struggling in our hearts to love. To love somebody who's been wicked or is wicked or has done evil to us. Lord, we pray that we will turn to you. And we will seek you out to heal our hearts and enable us to love and to have compassion. Lord, help us be a church that doesn't fall into the pattern of Jonah here in this book. But let us be a church that is moved with compassion, eager to see the wicked and evil, the lost people of Waco. Repent and to see you pour out great, abundant mercy and compassion on them, Lord. May that be our hearts. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen.